Wesley Maurice back with another Takes by the Lake here at Cleveland.com. Thanks as always to you guys for joining us. I haven't been writing this much this week, at least not on the site, uh, because I'm writing other stuff that you will be seeing soon. And um, we hope you have stuck with us here at Takes by the Lake because we should have a special Takes by the Lake podcast that you're not going to want to miss fairly soon, maybe next week, if not next week, the week after, that's going to be tied uh, to a bunch of stories that I'm working on right now. So we'll tease you with that. Um, It's about the Browns. I think you'll like it. Uh, But for now, we are talking Browns. And you can get subscribed to Takes by the Lake on uh, Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast sites. Again, you can read me, Doug Maurice at cleveland.com. Follow me on Twitter at D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. We have a return guest on Takes by the Lake this week. He joined us last time for a Browns season preview before the 2018 season. And now Neil Payne of 538.com wrote an interesting story this week about the Los Angeles Rams and how they built this roster. He talked about the idea of building dream teams. And basically what that means to Neil is bringing in some experienced um, maybe high-priced veterans, um, certainly with name recognition. Guys like Ndamukong Su, Marcus Peters, Aqib Talib, Andrew Whitworth, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods. You think about the additions that the Los Angeles Rams have made in the past two seasons um, and how important those additions have been and how they took a shot on spending money and spending some draft capital to make trades for some of these guys. And they could do it because they had a young core. Because they had a a young core at key positions that they drafted themselves and that they didn't quite have to pay yet. Uh, Jared Goff, a quarterback, Todd Gurley at running back, Aaron Donald on the defensive line. And when I read his story at 538.com, all I could do was think about Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, and this young Browns core. So I called Neil. He was great. We talked about the idea of how the Rams did this and could it make sense in Cleveland. I'm all in on the Browns going for this right now. There is no tomorrow. There is only today. Um, And I think you will learn something from Neil's analysis of the Rams and why it could be applicable to what is happening in Cleveland football. So get ready for Neil Payne from 538.com. As always, thanks for listening to Takes by the Lake. Um, If you're tired of Rams-Browns comparisons, this is not the place for you. I picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl, and if they win this thing Sunday, I'm going to write a thousand more stories about the Browns and the Rams and how they might be the same. Um, But for now, I think it's an interesting discussion. So um, Neil Payne from 538, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Neil, N-E-I-L, underscore, P-A-I-N-E. So that's N-E-I-L, underscore, P-A-I-N-E. Interesting writer, interesting stuff, interesting conversation with Neil here on Takes by the Lake. Joined by a repeat guest here on Takes by the Lake, it's Neil Payne, who keeps writing interesting things for 538.com and I told Neil if he keeps being interesting I'm going to keep calling him and the thing that got my attention this week is your story Neil on how the Los Angeles Rams sort of went about building a dream team in terms of uh, bringing in some big name guys some big money guys um, to supplement their young core and it worked and everybody can go read this story at 538.com because it's really easier said than done in a lot of ways. You think, oh, building a dream team, no big deal. But, um, Neil, if you can explain to people a little bit about your story and maybe why it seemed to work 
with the Rams this time, the way they built this Super Bowl roster? Well, sure. Uh, so first of all, I wanted to say thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, and it's good to be back on your podcast. Uh, as for the Rams, uh, I just was kind of, you know, th- there was a lot of talk about them going into the season as building this sort of dream team. You know, they went out and they got Brandon Cooks and then Dominican Stew and Marcus Peters and Akeem Tlaib. And then in the middle of the season, they got Dante Fowler. They also made these big extensions to Aaron Donald and Todd Gurley, which were, I believe, record-setting um, in each case for their position uh, in, in NFL history. So this seems like kind of a big spending spree, and people noted that. Uh, and they also noted the history of sort of this dream team concept in the salary cap era, which hasn't always been great, frankly. I mean, the, the canonical dream team that we think of is probably the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles, uh, because Vince Young called them a dream team, and then that sort of got used against them later. But they went out and they got Nambi Asama, who was regarded as one of, if not the best cornerbacks in the game at the time. They also picked up a bunch of other veterans. And it didn't work. Uh, and that team went 8-8 eight and eight, uh, that year. And, and that's that was the story of sort of the salary cap era dream team, this attempt to kind of go out and, and spend a lot on free agents and, and trick out your roster. Um, and I just wanted to dig into, like, why did it work for the Rams uh in this particular case, when the, the conventional wisdom had been that it just couldn't work in the NFL. And I found that there are a lot more teams that sort of fit this description recently than just the Rams. And this will probably be pertinent um, when we talk about the Browns, too. What, what is it that allows a team to even go after something like this, Neil? And, and I think, to me, I mean, obviously, sort of what you laid out. You need the young, a young core, right, before you can yes. build with these veterans around them. So you said there, there's more than one team that would fit this bill. Can a lot of teams go after this thing realistically, or, or do you need, do you have to have a young quarterback? Do you have to have a young skill player? Do you have to have a great defensive player? What do you need at the, with that young core to allow yourself to try to go after these other veterans to win now? Well, the Rams are kind of blessed with all of those things, which I think made it um, especially uh, work well for them when they were trying to build that. But I think you talked about when you talked about the young quarterback, and that's sort of what's happened um, in the NFL since the the current CBA went into place. Uh, I, I don't think people really understood for a few years the ripple effects it would have, but they basically drastically reduced the price tag on a quarterback who's on their rookie deal and really on sort of their first couple deals uh, before they hit those big paydays uh, and quarterbacks uh, of that you know type if you can get like a Russell Wilson uh, or a Carson Wentz um, uh, on those rookie deals you suddenly end up with a lot of money to play with uh, somewhere else on your team that you don't have to kind of devote to the quarterback. Uh, and, and that has allowed teams, you know, Seattle was a good example of how they they sort of were able to supplement uh, around Russell Wilson and kind of the Legion of Boom and win a Super Bowl, go to another Super Bowl. The Eagles last year were an example of that. I found that they only spent, they spent fewer than 5% of their salary cap money at quarterback on Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. And, and that's a tremendous advantage because it lets you go out and get a, a Jay Ajayi and an Alshon Jeffrey and, and Ronald Darby and some of these guys that they had. And the Rams, I think, have, have uh, kind of taken this to its logical conclusion because they don't, not only do they have the young quarterback in Jared Goff, but they also have Eric Donald, the 
season especially, he, he was uh, underpaid relative to his production. And, and Todd Gurley, uh, and, and so they were able to kind of build up and, and start, you know, kind of making this culture of winning, and they still haven't paid Jerry Goff anything near what, what a quarterback at his production uh, is worth. Uh, and so that was sort of, I think that's the blueprint for the Dream Team and why it's working now, uh, while it didn't work for sort of the early part of, of the salary cap era where you did have to pay these young quarterbacks a lot more money. In fact, in some cases, quarterbacks come into the league and be one of the highest paid quarterbacks uh, without ever having even taken uh, a snap in the NFL. Uh, and so, you know, there, it wasn't as uh, as well-rounded a strategy to build a team around it. So they've kind of come back around. Well, one of the interesting things that I looked at was that you had a lot of dream teams before the salary cap. You had the, the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1978, I think, had nine Hall of Famers on their team uh, because they didn't have to worry about, you know, oh, can we pay all these guys? Right. Uh, and, and the 49ers with, with Bill Bullets had, had a tremendous amount of Hall of Famers uh, you know, star players on their team throughout the 80s. Uh, and so it, it was funny how that sort of mentality, even though it's come about in a totally different way, we've sort of seen it circle back and, and become more viable again. The, the Rams have several guys on defense. They basically re- rebuilt their secondary with Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib um, going out and veteran, got, getting veteran guys like that. But even offensively, you look, they have two... 1,200-yard receivers this year. Robert Woods is a guy that they signed as a free agent before the 2017 season. Then they go out and trade a first-round pick to the Patriots for Brandon Cooks before this season. Um, again, I think a lot of times teams or fan bases can can focus, and, and writers can focus too, on like the, your draft, the draft, the draft. The draft is such a big thing, but you look at the way yeah, they drafted Todd Gurley, but they went out and got two weapons for Jared Goff, who guys who had been in the league a little bit, who were still young, but they weren't trying to break in rookies or that kind of thing. It w- those moves by the Rams in particular. It was there anything particularly smart about those moves with Cooks and Woods? Did they get lucky? Are most teams willing to do stuff like that? It just seems to me like sometimes you can get a little caught up in the draft when, hey, guess what? The Rams turned their first round pick in 2018 into a guy who caught like 80 passes for 1,200 yards this year. He wasn't a rookie who they had to break in. He was ready right now. Were the Rams uniquely smart to do that, or should there be opportunities for other teams to try to seek out young veterans like that that can help help a contending team pretty quickly. Well, I do think they got a little bit lucky in that regard because, you know, Woods had, had not shown anything like that when he was uh, with Buffalo. He spent four years with the Bills, um, and, and he never cracked 700 yards in the season before then. But I think it, it is instructional to think about these guys that you can kind of pluck off of, you know, other teams for, for not much in return. Um, uh, uh, Woods was a second-round pick originally, and there is this idea of almost like the second draft where you can kind of go out and get guys that had maybe washed out with other teams and, and scoured the waiver wire. If you look at the, the Rams' offensive line especially, I mean, a lot of these guys were are paid very little, and they also weren't drafted by the Rams. Andrew Whitworth, yep. uh, Andrew, uh, Austin Blythe, uh, John Sullivan. These are all guys that, that contributed to them and are being paid uh, not that much. I think the, 
them make a million dollars in salary this year. Uh, and they were able to get them um, from other teams where they had just sort of not shown the signs that they would be as productive. Corey Littleton wasn't even drafted uh, as a linebacker. Um, and so, yeah, they were able to sort of, that's a, a, that's a good point, as another part of this concept is, you know, when you're able to get production out of places where you're not having to spend that much and you're able to kind of scour these guys off of other teams and almost like vulture them uh, and, and turn them into productive players, uh, you, you can spend elsewhere and you can get the, the key to leads and, and Donovan Sue's in the world. And, and the other thing is you don't even need them to be that productive. If you look at the guys that they brought in uh, as, as part of these dream team picks, none of them were especially dominant. Kareem played pretty well when he played, but he only he missed eight games. Dollar came in in the middle of the season. Uh, and Peters was, you know, not always the greatest in, in coverage throughout the season. And so, you know, in the past, I think the Dream Team concept also relied a lot on the, the veterans, the, the big namers to come in and actually produce a lot of value for the team. And if the Rams had been counting on these guys in, in you know, to be the core of the team and, and rise and fall with them, they probably wouldn't have had a very good season, but they had the luxury of not needing them to have overwhelming, you know, kind of promo-type all-pro seasons. They could just be solid players because they had that core in place already uh, that were doing sort of the heavy lifting for the team. Uh, and I think that that's a great strategy to, to kind of be able to fall back on your own core. But if, if any of these guys step up and, and there's a good chance that they can make a big play that you need in the Super Bowl, you know, at the right time, um, it, it'll, it'll be sort of the icing on the cake. Yeah, I think that's an important point and, and, and how a team has to go about positioning themselves to have an opportunity to do this. You don't want to have to rely on those guys to be your best players. You say, hey, we drafted Jared Goff, we drafted Todd Gurley, we drafted Aaron Donald. Those guys are our best players. But now our seventh best player, our ninth best player, our 12th best player, our 14th best player, we're going to go out and get established veterans and vulture them, as you said, off some other rosters and supplement this core because I think, and Neil, I think this point, I've made this point before. I'm certainly not the only person making this point. I think it's the most important thing for Browns fans to think about as they think about this Baker Mayfield era. The time is now. There is no future. The time is now, right? And I know you wrote in this story about the Rams. This may not be the ideal way to build a 10-year dynasty, but it certainly seems like the be- one of the best ways, maybe the best way, to try to go about maximizing a two- or three-year window that you have with your best young players before they get paid. Can you sort of explain that idea of, you know, maybe you're not going to be the Patriots, but who the heck's ever going to be the Patriots? Make sure you take your best shot while your good young players are pretty cheap. Yeah, and I think so often, you know, you'll get a, a GM and a coach come in and they'll start to sort of think about the big picture and, and they'll try to implement their plan to build uh, a dynasty, like you said, a team that could, you know, contend every year for like a decade. And uh, that is so unrealistic <laughs> for pretty much every team uh, to kind of think about things in that scale. Uh, that I think the Rams are a great example where they said, damn the torpedoes, you know, full speed ahead. We're, we're not worried about what's going to happen after 2020 and 2021 because the truth is you could you could build with an eye on a dynasty and still only have a short window of time and, and everything 
will probably go wrong for you if you try to do that. So why not start by focusing on the short term and know that you have this gift of these players that are on, you know, relatively price controlled deals, uh, especially at quarterback, and, and just try to win what you can while you have the opportunity and worry about the, the consequences later. Uh, and I think that, you know, the other elephant in the room, of course, is that they have Sean McVay. They have, you know, one of the best coaches in, in the league who seems to be able to find ways to make these parts and pieces work together and achieve something that's greater than the, the sum of its parts. Uh, and so not every team necessarily has that, but I do think that it's a smart idea to think about things as, okay, instead of thinking about, you know, winning five championships, let's start by, you know, make the playoffs one year and then see where we can go, and then maybe we'll go to the Super Bowl and see where that gets us. And, you know, if you win one championship in a three-year window, that's better than, you know, trying to build for a seven-year window and not winning anything uh, and kind of being disappointed, because I I guarantee you the fans will take that one championship uh, in a heartbeat in in that trade-off. Yeah, Cleveland would take one. before. Well, Cleveland would <laughs> And I think that the point you make, you brought up Russell Wilson uh, and Seattle um, in this discussion. You know, they did that early in Russell Wilson's career. They had that great defense. They got their ring. And now, right, as that de- defense aged out a little bit, uh, it seems like what you hope with that young franchise quarterback is if you maximize him early before he's getting paid, that's maybe your best Super Bowl window. And then you know what? If you have to pay the piper a little bit after that, you hope that that, that young quarterback who you want to keep and you want to pay, he's still good enough to keep you competitive, even as maybe the tide turns against you a little bit. But, you know, the Seahawks, the Seahawks aren't the Seahawks they were a couple years ago, but they have their Super Bowl, and they still have Russell Wilson, and they still have a shot, but they also know, hey, we took our best shot, when Russell Wilson was cheap and we got exactly what we wanted, which was a Super Bowl trophy. Yeah, and that's a great point because uh, quarterbacks, especially as we're seeing now with, with people like Tom Brady and Drew Brees, the quarterback aging curve is a very long one relative to other positions. And so it's almost like if you want to maximize, you have that burst early on, like you said, where maybe your quarterback isn't actually even at his peak in terms of production. And certainly Russell Wilson uh, might be at his best now. You know, he had one of the, uh, I think he had the best quarterback rating of his career this season. Um, but you know, he was still good enough to lead a team to a Super Bowl when complemented by a lot of these other great players early on. And then, like you said, when the time comes to pay the quarterback, uh, you won't be able to have that talent around him. But maybe he has matured and become a better player at that point and, and will be able to carry you. Now, maybe the, the downside or, or a cautionary tale in that strategy is maybe the Packers and what they're going through right now with Aaron Rodgers because we've, been, we've seen that some of these generational talents at quarterback they can also mask a lot of flaws that a team has. Also, think about the uh, the Indianapolis Colts when Peyton Manning got hurt for that whole year. He was able to lead that team to double-digit wins every single year. And when he's out, they suddenly collapse completely. Uh, and so you run the risk of maybe, I don't want to call it complacency, but certainly not being able to identify some of the other flaws on your team uh, because the, the great quarterback covers that up. But even in that 
situation. The Packers, aside from this year, up until this year, they've been competitive at least every year, even if they didn't win the Super Bowl uh, only but one time with Aaron Rodgers. And you could probably argue, you know, they, they should have closed the deal in that NFC Championship game against Seattle of all teams uh, and had another crack at the Super Bowl uh, in that span. So, you know, the, you give yourself as many shots at it as, at it as possible. And I think you make a great point about the trade-off between maybe early on, uh, other players are around to carry more of the loads around the quarterback, and then later on you let the quarterback do most of the carry and see where that gets you. All right, so let's transition a little bit now toward Cleveland and toward specifically the Browns and this idea. And let's start off with this. We've talked about Jared Goff at quarterback, Todd Gurley at running back, and Aaron um, Donald on the defensive line for the Rams. Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett. I'm not saying I'm not saying Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald. I'm not saying that Nick Chubb is is Todd Gurley. But is there enough there with those three? Enough similarities that you think the Browns would have the first piece necessary in this dream team scenario, which is the young core of your best players to then try to supplement? Do they have enough there with the young core to maybe take a shot at something like this? I think they do, to be honest. I mean, I think we saw enough out out of Baker Mayfield, especially after the coaching change, that he does seem to have that elite quarterback um, level of talent. You know, he had a 93.7 quarterback rating as a rookie this season with not a whole lot to work with uh, around him um, uh, in terms of weapons. And you look at the other guys that are on there. I mean, Miles Garrett, you know, we talked about him. He was one of the best defensive players in the league this year. He's only 23 also, uh, and Chubb averaged over five yards per carry. So I think that it, it is not that much of a stretch to look at that uh, and say, you know, this, this could be, you know, the core of a contending team uh, in, in the next, you know, five years. Uh, and, and it really does depend, I think, on what they do from this point forward in terms of, you know, coaching, to see if Freddie Kitchens is sort of a, a McVay-esque character. I don't think you need him to be as good as McVay, who really is um, uh, among these offensive, you know, up-and-coming offensive lines. But at the same time, you know, it is about complementing that core now. But you'd rather be in the position that the, that the Browns are in right now than, you know, you look at another team uh, like Detroit or something where they have, uh, or Cincinnati, they have one of these quarterbacks who has been paid already and it's sort of not been enough to uh, carry the team to relevance as the, the amount of money that you can spend on the rest of the team declines. So, you know, I think the, the Browns are in a situation where they're just starting down this path uh, and they're off to a good start and now it's, it's all about the decisions they make from here. And I do think we, you know, in John Dorsey's first offseason last year, this idea of vulturing, this idea of pouncing and trying to get this second draft of players, they they made the trade to then have the chance to sign Jarvis Landry. They made the trade to get Demarius Randall, who was a revelation this year. They signed Terrence Mitchell for not a lot of money. Um, they, they they certainly made some moves in the first offseason um, that 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 certainly helped them this year. And now with as much cap space as they have this offseason, they seem they're like they're set up again. I think a lot of stuff with this Neil is you don't you don't even necessarily know what the moves are right now that. Again, the, the Rams traded, I think it was a fifth-round pick 
to get Akib Tlaib. And, and you don't know, it's like the, you know, the Broncos were trying to get a little younger. They were trying to save a little bit of money. And all of a sudden, you're there ready to pounce. Is that just the mode that if the Browns do have enough of a core, is that the mode that they should be in scouring every roster for every you know, young veteran or even an older veteran that, that maybe would be a salary cap casualty for some teams or maybe there's a young guy behind them? Does it seem like with the cap space the Browns have that they would be in a in a position where the next time an Akib Talib or Brandon Cooks is on the market, the Browns can take advantage of that? I mean, I think absolutely. They have, uh, I think, the third most um, cap dollars uh, available of any team uh, going into next season. And they were already a team that added, I think, some of the most talent just in terms of going out and getting credible players. I think we talked about this um, before the season started. If you compare the, the 2018 Browns with this, uh, the 2017 Browns on just a talent perspective, aside, put aside Baker Mayfield, put aside, you know, kind of the skill position, just talk about like, uh, you know, one through 53, um, look at the players on there. Uh, it's night and day, you know, they've already started being in this talent acquisition mode of trying to go out and get players that are, that are useful. They can be productive and, and actually contribute to a winning uh, atmosphere. And so, I think that they just have to continue to be in that mindset. But you're right because, again, the Baker Mayfield clock is ticking, um, as, as we talked about earlier, and uh, you have to be able to maximize this particular window right now uh, and, and add as much talent around him as possible in, in a short window. So, again, to, to bring this back to the Rams in a final comparison to the Browns, with what the Rams did, um, 2017, they go from a, a bad team in 2016 to a playoff team in 2017. And then in 2018, for much of the year, they, they fell off a little bit at the end, but for much of the regular season in 2018, they absolutely looked like one of the best teams in the league. And then they get hot again at the end of the year, and here they are in the Super Bowl. So the Browns... Sort of, you know, would be if 2016 for the Rams is what 2018 was for the Browns. Is, is Hugh Jackson, Jeff Fisher, I guess, in this comparison? I mean, I, I've written this so much, Neil, already. That was my. <laughs> I predicted the, and this is, I'm a little, I'm all in on this. At the beginning of the year, I predicted the Rams to win the Super Bowl, and I made the whole Jeff Fisher, like Hugh Jackson, gets fired in the middle of the year. Baker Mayfield wow. takes over the starting job, like Jared Goff did in the middle of his rookie season. Then they have the playoff year. Then they have the Super Bowl year. I'm all in on the Rams being the absolute template for the Browns <laughs> on this. You're on top of it. It's, you know, once in a career you can maybe get something right. Um, but the idea of this, that the Rams went from bad to playoff to Super Bowl in a three-year period, is that like a crazy timeline? Or with when you have this plan, if the Browns can supplement again, add some guys this offseason, could they, do you think they could be a playoff team in 2019 and then an absolute Super Bowl contender in 2020? That was the Rams' path. Is that a reasonable path for the Browns to aspire to, or was there some lightning in a bottle when it came to the Rams and that really that was an accelerated timeline that maybe Browns fans shouldn't get too wound up? Yeah, well, some of it is lightning in the bottle in terms of the day and, um, you know, getting the right coach who seems to be sort of one of these guys that is, uh, I don't know, he, he's, he seems to be at the forefront, I guess, in, in 
people couldn't tell, you know, Belichick was at the forefront when, when he was in Cleveland. So it's a little bit of a crapshoot to kind of, you know, uh, predict what a coach will do and how it will play out. But I did think that they sort of got lucky when they, when they rolled the dice on him. And you see it, and everyone else is now trying to emulate that in, in terms of the hires that they did. Uh, but in terms of the rest of the team, I don't think it's that much of a stretch. The thing is, you know, you have to hope that Jared Goff is actually, you know, I, I don't think I'm totally sold on Jared Goff actually being, you know, a quarterback as good as maybe his numbers have been. And I think those are a little juiced up by the offense that he plays in. Uh, but that's good news for the, for the Browns in terms of if Cody Kitchens is, you know, among the same group and cut from the same cloth as McGay in terms of his, his ideas about how to run an offense then it can boost a, a player like that. Uh, and, I mean, I think Baker Mayfield is more talented than Jared Goff, just in terms of the eye test. Uh, and that's another good sign for Cleveland. So, I don't know, you hesitate to kind of project things out and, and be like, well, they definitely expect them to be a Super Bowl contender in two years, but it's not a crazy idea. It's really not crazy to think about them taking the same path. Uh, and, and it all just comes down to the, the young quarterback um, being in place. Uh, and, and the young quarterback who seems to have that, you know, star potential uh, and, and nurturing that uh, as you go on, uh, that's, like I wrote about, that's the key element, I think, of building one of these dream teams is having a quarterback produce a lot more than, than the value, uh, a lot more value than what you think they Yeah, it's sort of like, Neil, I, 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 I'm very optimistic, Browns fans are optimistic, but but the new fear, I think, in Cleveland sports, um, after waiting for 20 years for a franchise quarterback, is would you now somehow waste the prime and waste this this time when he's underpaid? Would you somehow waste this Baker Mayfield time because you can't get the rest of it right around him? Because um, all of a sudden it feels like Cleveland does have a quarterback to believe in, and then if that's the case, you gotta you gotta do everything you gotta take everything out of the bag and throw it all on the table because um, this is a rare opportunity. And, uh, you know, I know John Dorsey has said he doesn't want to spend like a drunken sailor, but man, I'm, I'm not so sure. Maybe not a drunken sailor, but a buzzed sailor. Yeah, yeah, it's a slightly inebriated sailor. Yeah, that's, that's slightly, <laughs> let's, let's go with that. That's a good headline. John Dorsey, the slightly inebriated sailor for this Browns offseason. Um Neil Payne, thank you so much for taking time. I just think you you break things down in such an interesting way. 538 is such a great site for that, um, and you're a tremendous writer when it comes to that kind of thing. So I love your work. I would encourage all our listeners to make sure you check out Neil, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on Takes by the Lake again when you write another thing that makes me think, God, that relates to the Browns. That's the thing, Neil. You're not really writing about the Browns this time, but you made me think about the Browns as soon as I read it. So that's your fault. That's why I called. Yeah, it's really, you know, the, the Browns have to be on your mind all the time. I know probably for your listeners, they are. Um, uh, and I think this is probably the most exciting opportunity that they've had in, in many in decades upon decades. Uh, and it all comes down to Mayfield. And I don't know, maybe if, if we think about the, the state of teams, even ones that didn't get it right, uh, like we talked about Detroit and Cincinnati, they... Uh, they at least were competitive. I know it's not, I mean, that would be a very disappointing outcome to kind of turn into the, the Bengals of the last decade or something. If, but think about that as the worst case scenario. You go to some playoff games, 
maybe you don't win them, uh, famous for Marvin Ross never did that, uh, but, but you're in the mix in there as the worst case, that uh, even in and of itself is so far beyond what the, what the Browns have, have been looking at since they um, came back into existence, as we talked about on, on your program months ago, uh, that, you know, maybe they can take, uh, people can take solace in the idea that the worst case scenario will be the best time that the restarted franchise uh, has ever had, and that's the worst case. Yeah, but, no, what a glorious, what a glorious idea of complaining about only making the playoffs. And that that would that's such a foreign concept to Browns fans that I do think, uh, you know, on on one hand, um, you'd be disappointed if they didn't get more out of that, but on the other hand, my God, what a world that would be. Uh, um, Neil, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure we'll talk again, and we'll look forward to your uh, your next piece that makes us makes us think about the NFL. Thanks, guys. All right. All right, that's it for another Takes by the Lake. Uh, thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Neil Payne for joining us. Again, uh, we took a long break on Takes by the Lake, but we were back last week um, with Seth Wickersham. Um, we'll have more interesting guests ahead as we think about the NFL Combine, the NFL Draft. Uh, we will touch on the Indians at some point. Um, as spring training is going to be right around the corner. We'll maybe get into the Cavs at some point as the NBA continues to explode. But we'll probably keep this Browns focused because that is what I like. So, thanks to you guys. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Doug Maurice. That was Takes by the Lake. And we'll talk to you next time.